0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Females in Motorsport podcast. This is your host Manvi. Formula One and motorsport in general is going through many changes right now thanks to the evolution of its popularity. We're seeing a huge influx of fans come through from all over the world, especially young female fans. Someone at the forefront of educating young and new fans and bringing them into the fold is our guest today, Tony Cohen Brown. As a content creator, Tony has taken over the world of F1 TikTok, Twitch, and Instagram with incredibly informational content that has both raised and answered important questions in the sport. Welcome to the show, Tony.
1: Thank you for having me. I always love listening to people's intros because you know if you've done a good job at positioning yourself or not. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, that was great. Oh, good. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> Thank you. How are you doing? I'm i'm doing good i just come back from a couple of days in vegas and i think i spent one too many days in vegas um, but i'm good and it was great actually very formula one related to see where the, the they're starting to resurface or they on the plan is to start resurfacing the track in a couple of weeks So it was interesting to see the actual track layout um, irl and see where everything's going to be and i can't believe we're going to have a racetrack there in seven months I also love the idea that it's going to be like when I was seeing Vegas at night I was like oh yes this was and I remember saying this two years ago if we're going to have a race in Vegas it has to be a night race so the fact that they've pulled that off on on the calendar and we're going to have a night race there is really exciting but just the logistics of it just you know what was it the first week of March is always when the, in Monaco when they start resurfacing and they start putting up the grandstands and all of that. And that's, you know, been a recurring thing now for a handful of decades. Um and so I can't wait for that to be the same thing with with Vegas. But it's it's always crazy looking at this and going, wow, this car's gonna be, you know, driving down these streets. It's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. I I I'm obviously I'm based in New York. I am waiting and hoping for the day we have in New York. <laughs> Formula One circuit. I mean, I don't know how that would be. I mean, I want to say it, it could be great, but... Um... It could really—I don't know how it would be from a sporting perspective because I don't think there's enough space for two cars to go next to I each mean, other. I mean, this is what everyone says when they walk around Monaco: is how the heck are
1: these Formula One cars going around these streets and these corners? It makes no sense. And look, Monaco is Monaco, and it's very dividing uh, and divisive as a topic. I'm definitely one of those. So just like I'd like to see it once, but I think it needs to be off the calendar. The, 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 form, the modern Formula One cars are too big.
0: Agreed. I don't think it's as an ex- it's an exciting race. I think it would be more exciting if I were to go and watch it in person. But I don't have like $20,000 just sitting in my bank account to spend on a Formula One race. So I will not be doing that anytime soon. But um, I mean, I'm still fingers crossed for New York circuit, because that would be probably my dream come true.
1: Fingers crossed for you. Let's let's see. Although the 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 European audience will be very angry if we add a fourth, um, fourth race circuit in America, I think people are already pissed that we've got three.
0: That's true. That's true. And obviously, Miami is not going the way that was planned. Looks like. So I mean, I wouldn't be mad if they swapped out Miami, to be honest. But that's just okay. Heard it here first. Hot take. So I gave a little bit of an introduction about, you know, new fans coming to the sport. And obviously, that has been a bit of a touchy topic with Formula One. Mm. But the crux of it seems is that a lot of people who, especially who have been working in or on motorsport or have been following it for years, obviously know a lot about the sport. And everyone else kind of feels like they don't belong because of that superiority complex that has somehow come through. And now it has become a major pain point because young fans are often told that they're not real fans, whatever that means. But I think content creators, especially as yourself, have really helped educate new fans, which has helped sustain this fandom. Mm. Was that your goal when you started your TikTok platform on Formula One?
1: No, I'd like to say that I had a whole strategy in mind, but I truly didn't. Um, but the one thing that I have seen with content creators generally is the dive. Obviously, there's a there's a there's a breadth and a diversity of content creators right now, and the common thread with all of us is that we're creating content out of necessity. We're creating content that we would want to consume, and we're creating content that we just haven't seen. Whether that's Fun and quirky, whether that's fur straps, whether that's breaking down the technology in the way that I can understand. And I'm not one of those people that say, you know, women do things in a certain way, men do things in a certain way. I don't actually particularly enjoy this, you know, societal stereotype of women should be expected to do things a certain way and men another way. But I will say this, the one thing that I have seen, for example, with women is we're much more conversational in the way we talk, in the way we approach things. And so I know that that's how I learn better is the conversational dialogue. Um, so again, like that's the type of content that I started putting out there that was very educational in nature, but I always wanted to make it fun and interesting that you basically I take people on a discovery journey with me to try and find answers to questions that I believe we all have. Um, And by doing so, it was very important for me to have, or even imperative for me to have this thing that there are no dumb questions, there is no such thing as a real fan, Um, fandoms can take all forms and all shapes and sizes and come across in different ways, And, and so I am someone who loves learning. So I think that just organically came across. And I'm also someone who was always very shy at school and always had this mentality. If I have to do something, it has to be done properly and correctly and right, whatever. And I'm putting right in inverted commas, whatever that means. Um, And so I always had this thing of, wait, in school, you'd get told off if you didn't have the answer. At uni, you were expected to have the answers. You get your first job and you think that you've been hired because you have the answers. No one at any point in your life tells you that actually life is about learning and growing every single day. It's not about moving to the next milestones because you now know all of this. And in some instances, that's true if you're, you know, if you're training to be a doctor or a lawyer, there's obviously certain things that you need to know. But the reality is we learn on the job, we learn by doing. And I think I wanted to bring that to the table when I started creating my content, which is let's let's marvel at how little we actually know and understand about this sport versus marveling at how much we know. so I, I think it kind of those values that I have and that I brought to the table kind of came across. And then that's what I built. And those are the people I attracted, I think, to the table and in into this, this community. But I never set out with that intention. Actually, it was I sort of fell into TikTok because I'd created a beginner's guide, the first iteration of the beginner's guide for a friend of mine who had asked me, Can you just give me 10 bullet points? when I start watching my first race, and this was obviously during the pandemic, and I started writing down things that this person should know and remember, and I just started writing and writing and it turned into like a 54 page document to which my friend said, are you stupid? I am not reading 54 pages about Formula One. I'm not that into it. And so I had this body of work and I was consuming a lot of TikTok and I looked at the two and thought, oh, wait a minute. I've always wanted to try video content and I'm scared of this so much. And I've got this massive body of work. What if I turned this into short form content? And so that's how that started. So it kind all just happened.
0: Oh, I love that story. I actually really like what you said about, yes, life is all about learning and growing and no one tells you that. And I think this sport is actually a perfect example of it because it's not a sport you can learn about or try in school. You know, it's not like a football or a basketball or, you know, whatever yeah. other sport. You play in school and gym class and things that you know some rules for. This is yeah. not a sport like that. You, just, you don't really get to test, uh, Formula One car when you're 13 years old. It's interesting you say that, by the way, because I had a question and I don't know if anyone has the
1: answer to this or anyone listening, but I had this thought one day of, is Formula One one of the only sports, and I'm sure there's others, but I can't name them, but is it one of the only sports that you can just never test at will or never practice at will? Because, you know, golf, trapeze, you can always find a space or a room to, you know, practice trapezing or to practice golfing. And it's never going to be the actual space in which you're then going to go and have your tournament in but there's no such thing with formula one cars. like as we know it's really limited for safety and security reasons mm-hmm. but truly some of these drivers you know i think of oscar piastri this year the first time he actually tested out a formula one car was you know a couple of weeks before actually getting on track which is kind of crazy to think about
0: it's just such a specialized limited um, access Also, just technical sport that it's just not possible to open it up to all these people. Maybe at some point, I mean, I guess karting is like the version of you able to test it out, but you will never be able to test it out at a Formula One level, which is so interesting to think about. It's
1: also why, by the way, we have so many
0: armchair experts like
1: myself because we know we will never ever get to experience a Formula One car in our lives, so we want to know everything about it. And to what you are saying, me is it's one of those where. I find that the more you learn about the sport, the more the sport is interesting, but that barrier to entry is pretty high to get into it. I remember being six or seven and watching the cars and being really confused when my dad was saying, no, that's the, that's the driver at the front. I was like... If he's at the front, why is there a car in front of him? Because as a six-year-old, I had a hard time that the track was going round and this was a back who had actually overlapped him. And I was like, I'm really confused by what's happening. Uh, but it is one of those sports where every time you think you understand something, there's a new set of regulations or something's changed or you peel the onion. And you're like, oh, it's actually not as easy as I thought it might be, which makes it fascinating, to your point.
0: I agree. I think it's more fascinating. It's also just makes me think about when old fans, again, in quotes, old fans say that, oh, you don't know this much about the sport. Well, you didn't know either until you started watching the sport. So I I don't really understand where this whole narrative around new fans and not real fans comes about because at some point we were all new fans. Obviously, new fans, or let's say new fans, again, in quotes, has come through the popularity of Drive to Survive. But again, like I said, I think content creators have really helped sustain that. And I think that's a great thing because while the sport is growing, it's becoming more popular. That can't be a bad thing, at least not for people who are watching the sport. For me personally, I don't work in motorsport. Females in motorsport is not my full-time job. I did not grow up watching Formula One, so I was very new into this world until very recently. So when I started dabbling with it a little bit, I thought, okay, I should have to educate myself a little but even when you try to do that, even teams and the sport itself is not really doing a lot of educational content. It's really content creators which have helped me become more educated about the sport. It, I've I've said this time and time again. Like it's just this different
1: different entry points and different things that appeal to different people. And it truly is the hill that I will die on. That it is such an incomplete and simplistic viewpoint to say draw a line between Drive to Survive and Increase. I, I always say that it's like a, there's a perfect storm that happened. Even when you talk, by the way, to the producers of Box to Box, who company behind Drive to Survive will say we never expected, and we truly didn't expect the show to blow up the way it did but of course not because it came at a point where it was just before the pandemic and the second season arrived during the pandemic then there was the pandemic which you know happened and no one could have expected everyone was dying for sports content but everyone was locked at home and we couldn't go in IRL so we were all going to that's why we also saw the rise of sports documentaries as a whole then we had the rise of TikTok and people consuming TikTok and actually creating content. And we also was at a time where the barrier to entry to create content was as low as it ever has been. That's the full story of what happened. It was never as simple, because I truly don't think if we would have had the pandemic or if we would have had TikTok arrive at the same time of Drive to Survive, we would have not have the same success or Drive to Survive wouldn't have had the same success on the sport. 100%. simultaneously this is why I always say that like the two other well, the two other docu series that they've created breakpoint and full swing we're not gonna see the same input that those are having on either of those sports because again that full that that complete picture um that that you know perfect storm moment isn't happening for either of those two other sports like it did for formula one um so there's definitely a desire i think from my point of view also to just like tell the complete story um of the rise of content creators and how they're fundamentally shaping, I think, the content in this world right now.
0: Yeah, and I absolutely agree on Drive to Survive. I mean, Drive to Survive also came out in 2019 and I don't think it saw its own, even the show spike until 2020. So it really was all about, people were just like craving that sports content and they just didn't have anything else. And obviously Formula One is new for a lot of people. I barely knew anything about this sport, but I think it really helped put Formula One on the map for a lot of people. But I think... To carry that forward has been a, a, an effort by many other industries, by many other organizations, any other groups, communities, that you can't just credit the popularity to only describe. Correct. Yeah. Um, interestingly though, this this also opened up the conversation to a new question that is, how has Formula One not been able to welcome female fans themselves? I know you recently did a poll on Instagram where you asked people what kind of changes they have seen F1 facilitate to welcome female fans and shared the results that they could not think of anything but I'm curious to know in your opinion like do you think there are any actionable things Formula One can do in the future? I do and I will say that they seem to be playing
1: catch up and I truly I've talked about this a few times but I do think we're gonna see, I think the sports or the fans plateau a little bit this year because I'm already seeing a lot of content creators and fans and people are gonna say, ah, these are not true fans but that's BS in my opinion, that just don't feel welcome, don't feel seen, don't feel heard. Don't, you know, are scared to go to GPs because of experiences they had. And I do think this is the year next year that Formula One is going to lose a lot of the fans that they might have attracted two or three years ago. And so I do think right now is the time for F1 to do something. And I personally am one of those people who I wrote to Greg Maffei at Liberty Media, who put me in touch with the right people at Formula One, who told me they were going to do something, who sat down and listened. And it's been, you know, 12 months and nothing has been done. And I follow mm-hmm. up and I follow up a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And by the fifth time, I say, you know what, this is not worth it. And it's not not a priority but before I like list like a bunch of ideas for me 2022 was a pivotal moment for me because I think something happened it was like for me the year of Formula One fandoms and I started seeing the future of the sports commentary and the future of Formula One content and I truly I've said this in a variety of different ways but in 2022 I feel like I watched a lot of the teams and drivers copy content that was first created by young women. And then it was celebrated, this content was celebrated by the same fans who ridiculed the women who first put out this content. I also watched as drivers truly crave the relevancy that Gen Z and young female fans had to offer, but couldn't quite muster the courage should actually respect that fan base and there's a couple of drivers who've done this who like saw other drivers gaining a lot of relevancy from the young female fans but then would say in the same sentence you know oh but these new fans don't know, didn't see me when I was in, you know, driving in 2016 or 26. And you just go, what, what are you trying to get at? Which is very similar to that narrative that you're telling around gatekeeping. I also, look, I also watched as team principals in Formula One, and we've all seen it, congratulate themselves for the rise of this new audience segment without actually calling them by their name. Young women, mm-hmm. girls, female fandoms, fangirls. And I landed at the end of 2022 of just like you can't simultaneously refuse us as fans and ignore us, but want our relevancy, copy our content, but then also ridicule us. And and so that's where I landed in 2022. And look, to your question of like, there are so many things that F1 could do that would just showcase that they are listening and hearing. You know, you can have a code of conduct at race weekends. I'm still shocked, that that's not a thing that you get with your tickets. You can have a code of conduct on social media. And I think it was... McLaren, who last year was one of the first teams to put out of code of conduct, and they did it again. But the thing with code of conduct is, it's not very clear or detailed how it's going to be actionable. And so that's the piece that I'm missing. You can have things at race weekends, you know, help centers and numbers. I'm again, this is something that's very normal that you see at a lot of festivals and a lot of concerts. I'm surprised this isn't a thing that we're seeing already in Formula One, and that's so easy to do. You just slap it inside all of the bathrooms and say, if you feel, you know, if you feel unsafe or if you're worried, just call this number. You can have hospital. Take it a step further. You could have hospitality spaces for people who need it. Like again, that there's such a plethora and diversity of fans, and right now the sport is, seems to be catering for one very specific demographic um, take it a step further you could hire a head of diversity and inclusion but this only works if this is truly a thing that you prioritize and then I think the final thing for me is Again, that feels pretty basic. It's just hire diverse people who are representative Mm -hmm. of the space and the fans that you're trying to reach. This immediately brings new ideas to the table. Um, The teams that I worked with, whether it's Aston Martin or teams that I've been speaking with recently, the one thing that they all have in common when I get on the phone with them and that they're excited by the ideas that I put forward is it's young women that I'm talking to, um, or it's people from the LGBT. Q plus community that just like we're coming at the table with I'm not talking with a cis middle-aged white man and so they instantly get what we're trying to do and get the ideas and so the teams that have been the most creative and innovative in my opinion have been teams who have had a diverse team to talk with and I you know when you look at the merchandise and you go why isn't the merchandise more I don't know more more unique or more different well it's normal look at the people who are creating the merchandise they're creating it with them in mind not with people like you and I in mind so I don't know the list is very long of things that they can do that they're not doing
0: there is really no diversity of thought when there's no diversity and that's what really creates the long-term impact is having a diverse management because if there's no women present in the room you don't know what the ideas are going to be
1: and really i sat down with people at formula one and post miami gp i broke down the experience of being a solo female race goer at a race And I could see it, that this was the first time, and they said it, this is the first time we're hearing anything like that, which tells me two things. You don't have women on your team, you're not listening, and you're not paying attention. But also, what are we going to do about it? And they promised that they weren't ignoring me, that they were going to take this seriously, and nothing has been done. And this was post-Miami of 2022. Oh, wow. And post-Miami, we then had... The severe issues that we had at other GPs with massive racism, homophobia, uh, misogyny, and sexism that were experienced by a lot of fans, and I think quite a few people reported on this. And you just sit back and go, "If only you'd listened." And again, some of the things that we're
0: suggesting are such basic things, very, very easy to enforce. And I don't think they realize that right now they want to capitalize on these female fans, but if you don't create a space for them they're not gonna they're not coming back and i think this is where i always
1: say like you you want the relevancy you want our economic power but you're not willing to forget even welcome us you're not even willing to acknowledge us and so i think there's something And i say us and i'm definitely part of the older demographic but i look at gen z and i go i don't know how you have the patience because clearly you are doing so much for this sport Um, and truly this sport is you look at the content that some of the teams and the drivers are putting out they are truly they have just copy pasted what has worked and what has been created by young female fans and when i say young female fans it's even worse when it's women of color and black women who are generally at the forefront of creating culture and like truly creating digital culture and it just gets ripped off and you go why aren't we celebrating the people who came up with this idea in the first place
0: i think the way that formula one is positioning itself to younger female fans right now is like they're trying to create this culture but in very performative right. ways and it's it's very transparent and especially like you mentioned i think gen z is very quick to pick up on that and they're not having it and they're turning to content creators and thank god we have you because otherwise it would just be so much worse because you don't have, because there would
1: just be no community, no community. And it's, that's one of the core things about female fans is they know how to build community online and offline. They know how to gather people. They know how to create word of mouth. They know how to drum up interest. They're buying your merchandise, they're buying tickets. They're not just buying it for one person. They're creating a community of 10, 20 people coming to the races. Um, But I'm already seeing it like phenomenal creators like Ash Vandelay and the grid click um, women and and duo like there's already so much happening there that I'm seeing that they're just like, you know what, if everyone's not going to pay attention, we're going to go and focus on Indy and NASCAR, who are welcoming them with open arms. And I fear that we're going to see more and more of an exodus. So if F1 is going to wake up in maybe a year or two and go, okay, we're ready for you all. And we'll be like, no, no, you're ready for us because now you've all sort of accepted the content because it's been created by, you know, white men and traditional media and it's been picked up on and and now it's no longer on the fringes. Uh, Now you're willing to, no, no, it's too late. These women will have been long gone and brought their talent and excellence to other sports and focused on that. And Massive opportunity that's being missed right now.
0: Yeah. I think another way where it's very evident that there is no diversity of thought is the way that Formula One and generally motorsport series are addressing female drivers. I heard the stat the other day from a fellow female driver, not fellow female driver, from a fellow driver, female driver who mentioned to me that only 1% of the sponsorships in motorsport go towards women, which is insane.
1: 40% of our, there's another stat there, which is 40% of our athletes are women in all sports and they only get 4% of coverage, 4%. It's
0: it's truly ridiculous. And I obviously there's some programs coming about, there's one academy and I think, you know, Formula One is trying to change their narrative for themselves being like, look, we are trying to invest in things and we're trying to make change happen. I think it's, it's very clear that it is a systemic issue. It's not something, you know, you can put a band-aid on, it's not a quick fix. And it's, it's very interesting to me that with F1 Academy, yes, of course, they're giving a really good platform to young women to, um, to drive and, you know, formula cars. And they're very, they're very technically, they just like F4 cars, which is amazing. But what after that? How would they get into F3? Because even if you take like sponsorships, for example, F1 Academy has a budget cap. I think it's 150,000 euros. But to drive an F3, it's almost like you need a million dollars. How are you helping women reach that next level after F1 Academy? So I think those very deep-rooted issues are not being addressed. And I think female fans are also picking up on that because if you can't respect us as fans, you can't respect us as drivers, why why are we still doing this? I was
1: shocked last year when I discovered that 2021 was the first year that Puma had actually worked with female drivers to build a race suit that was actually tailored with them in mind. And it was interesting because I, I put out a video and there's so many conversations going, you're being an idiot, all suits are tailored. And I was like, no, no. Imagine when you go into an actual tailor shop and you buy a man's suit, and I'm not talking a race suit, just like an actual three-piece suit or two-piece suit, and you put it on. If you're a man and you've been given a male, a man's suit, we can tailor it to your body pretty easily. Imagine if I gave you now a woman's suit and said, we're gonna figure out how to tailor it to you. It's not gonna fucking work. And that's the exact thing that's happening with women. Women are not just smaller versions of men. Their bodies are completely different. So 2021 was the first year we actually had a suit tailored to women with women in mind and with women's bodies in mind right from the get-go versus taking a suit that was obviously tailored to the average man and then we tweak and change it. And it's the same with the cars. The cars are built with the average man in in mind. So these cars, the women aren't starting at the same level of playing field as the men. Look, I'm excited by the F1 Academy. I do think there's a couple of tweaks and changes that, that it puts it on this the right path compared to the w series i will say this i have no idea and i'm talking out of my ass here but i do think we're not going to see the w series come back the only reason i say this is we've already got two drivers that are now signed up to the f1 academy um, that were part of the w series academy and i don't think w series would have let them go if the w series was coming back um but at the end of the day look um let's be very real here um the f1 academy is a smart business decision from formula one. And it's one that's driven by monetary incentive and rightfully so the women and girls, you know, shouldn't be a charity case. And they do bring a lot of money to this sport. And, and I think when you look at people like Jamie Chadwick, who's won, you know, W series three years in a row and who couldn't find a seat in any of the feeder series in formula one and who had to go across the pond and go and join in, in um, indie NXT. So the feeder series to IndyCar, um, I think, The FIA and Formula One should absolutely take a good, strong look at themselves and go, where are we going wrong? That our brilliant female talent doesn't have a path here or, you know, can be on the road to Formula One and they have to go all the way across the Atlantic to use their talents. Like, surely there's a problem here look, I also get when a lot of people are saying it sounds like we're adding another layer for women, which I get I and I, I said this with W series and I and I will say this with the F1 Academy, I hope it's one of these things that we create out of necessity right now. But that in five six seven years we no longer need and we can get rid of f1 academy i also think there's something really interesting which is initially the f1 academy had said that they were looking at really young drivers so 16 to 19 year old most of the drivers that they've picked are 20 and above which also that was the way they were differentiating themselves from w series as w series had older drivers and they were looking at very young drivers so i find it really interesting that they couldn't find 15 very young female drivers, which also tells me that I can't see the W Series coming back because they've definitely offered something very similar, whereas initially they had positioned themselves, oh, no, no, we're looking at much, much younger drivers which also begs the question of more than equal. Where does that sit in all of this? Because they did a big hoo-ha, you know, when they first came onto the scene and it was obvious a PR stunt when they first, you know, announced it at the Silverstone um, GP. And I'm sure that that I know they're doing a lot behind the scenes, but I find it fascinating that they did a whole PR push for this without actually knowing what the program was going to be, without actually doing the research beforehand. And it seems like they announced it and now they're doing the research and the program, which is fascinating.
0: it really it makes me think about like did they think that they could get away with it before because they didn't have all these young female fans and Gen Z who are actually we question things. Yeah. We don't just let we just, just read things and be like oh that's great and just do know turn off the internet. This is a new territory for them because I don't think they've had to deal with these questions before, and I think just going back to not having a lot of women in management and things like that, I think it's just going to hurt them long term because without I think it's just going to be very hard for them to really pinpoint the concerns the issues and actually develop long-term impact
1: yeah and it, it's funny because i i rewrote like um i did an ode to the to this what i call the sunday fangirls i think it was in 2021 and i rewrote it year as i was th- as i was closing out 2022 and i'd seen a couple of things especially with content creators and i realized that yeah you're spot on there it's that the young female fans have been questioning and pushing for big conversations to happen that should have been happening years ago. Whether it's around homophobia, whether it's around racism, whether it's around inclusion and diversity and representation, they've been pushing for this more than any other demographic. And truly, it's one of those when you go, why are they being the adults at the table? And they just are. Oh. Um, and to and to your the point that you made earlier on is they call bullshit. They just really do. Um, which is be really fascinating to watch which is why i also think is they're gonna up and walk and take their skills and take their interest and take their hard-earned cash and go elsewhere and you know you look at someone like harry styles and taylor swift they understand their core demographic and they understand what that demographic has done for their brand relevancy and they know how important it is to cater to that audience and they don't ridicule them um and i always choke that you know who's going to be the harry styles of formula one because that person that driver team is going to win so so big but truly I've yet to see a single driver actually celebrate young female fans and girls so I can't wait for that
0: day quite frankly <laughs> might be a while yeah, we may maybe. have to keep waiting for a little bit longer I think you are one of the first communicators that I saw already talk about the intersection of politics and sports and the fact that you cannot separate the two It's something that, you know, we all know at the back of our heads or maybe we just don't think about. But when you read it, it just like smacks you in the head. You're like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. From your perspective, from that intersection, because it is just fact, what are the pros and cons of that, especially for a global sport like Formula One? Oof, Um, it's a great question. Um, Look, I'll start by giving
1: a little bit of context, which is... I think you kind of touched upon it but when i talk about the intersection of of politics and and motorsports or just sports in general it's rooted in history and facts it, this 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 opinion shouldn't even be polarizing and i think that's where i always smile and laugh and i'm confused um sports has always been political and has always played a pivotal role in politics I and mean, we can go back all the way to the roman empire in ancient greece where the athletes who were, you know, in their Olympic, playing their Olympic games were using the same arenas that the politicians were using to have, you know, and share discontent or the status quo or to, to talk about, you know, the, the politics of the state. And so I always find it fascinating that we're going all the way, like thousands of years in BCE time, that these same arenas were used for both politics and sports. And you don't even need to go that much, you know, further back. You In a post-World War II era, sporting events have... This is the negative side of it, if you want, that's the con of it. Um, and I think this is the paradox as well, is uh, these sporting events have historically been a cosy home for many authoritarian regimes, in mostly an attempt to distract from or improve their global reputation. You had um Mussolini, um Mussolini, sorry, Italy hosted what was it in 1934 their world cup and they use it as a showcase of fascism and then only two years later we had um hitler's um berlin olympics which is very well known and it was only four or five years ago that we had putin's world cup and we had qatar world cup last year and so these global sporting events have been used to sort of signal something and sometimes they've also been used to signal desirable social change we saw in the rugby world cup of south africa in 1995 post apartheid we saw it in 1998 for the fifa i think world cup as well in france and and again i'm talking a lot about Olympics and, and, and football events, but it's the same in GPs. Like, whether it's Olympics, World Cups, they all provide a very unique and a very tangible opportunities for governments in their pursuit of symbolic politics. It's an opportunity to reframe the dominant narrative. It's an opportunity to legitimize their stance. So I look at this and go, if we've allowed governments since the dawn of time to blatantly use mega-sporting events to their advantage to essentially spin their narrative... Why is it that we have now such a hard time to allow athletes to use these same moments and these same platforms to actually, in my opinion, do some good? And yeah, there's a paradox here of it feels okay when it's the government and... um, Stefano Domenicali even came out saying we should celebrate Formula One and everything we're doing in Saudi Arabia because we're shining a light on the cult. So they're also positioning this as a white savior complex, which is like, oh, my God, where are you going with this? Which is even worse. And I won't spend too much time on that. But I was like, you need to shush. Stop it. I, I think I get where you're coming at it. But again, you can't have it both ways. It's the same with the female fans. You're saying we should celebrate working with the likes of Saudi Arabia because they can learn from our Western values, which I have so many issues with that as well, because let's be real, and we talked about this before we get on the call, Western values aren't always the best values. So what are we even talking about? And can you get off that white savior complex? But also you're saying that it's okay when it's governments pouring their money and using global sporting events and using, you know, Formula One GPs as a way to highlight their governments and their values, but it's not okay when a driver does it. And I think again, that's where this is the pro of it. It's just like, I wish people would understand that a driver wearing a pride flag on a shirt or a t-shirt or I don't know, on their car, isn't them pushing a belief or a religion or even an opinion. What's being said here, and I'll take the pride flag example, is all sexual orientation, all cultures, all genders, all races are welcome, full stop. It's about inclusion and representation. A driver wearing a a pride flag isn't them particularly endorsing something. It's just them saying all are welcome. And I think it's the same. I, I see it the same with when I see my comments like, I hate this type of content. Great don't consume it. I'm not pushing you to consume content that you don't, I'm just putting out content that I know a lot of other people want. And it's the same when you put wearing the the pride flag, you're not saying we all need to become gay. That's not the message, you are not even pushing your belief on anyone, you're just, it's a symbolism of all it, all all are welcome and all is included. And again, that's where my head goes at with just like, if you just put a phone number in the bathrooms, women and men of a number to call if you don't feel safe, that's not pushing anything on anyone other than saying you're seen you're heard and we want you to be welcomed and i think that's the pro with the this intersection And I had a hard time with this because I don't even believe that that's politics, Manvi. Like, I look at this and go, this feels like basic human rights. But then I also know that people, human rights is also a very Western concept. Uh, Although I will say this, I think it's like three-fifths of the people who signed the Human Rights Declaration or the Declaration of Human Rights were non-Western countries. So there's a wider conversation to have there. Um, But I don't even look at that as politics, but I just I just think we're being it it feels like it's okay when it's governments and it brings in big money. But I think what people aren't realizing in Formula One and the FIA is that the relevancy is shifting away from the FIA to Formula One, to the teams, to the drivers. And I think the drivers and the athletes today wield incredible power. And so I would, you know, if we're going to lose one or two of our key drivers, I think the sport has much more to lose than the driver has to lose. So I know that the governments are pouring a lot of money right now into Formula One. But I think the drivers bring a lot of relevancy to the table. And I don't know why it's so hard to just allow people to wear a flag. And what I always find disturbing is people are just like, oh, so you'd you'd be okay with someone Having a swastika, and i 'm like, "Oh, how did we even get here like the, how are you comparing one that 's about love and inclusion and one that was a symbol of hate across most of the world i i And that's why I I stop with those conversations and go, yep, this is like trying to have a conversation with an idiot.
0: With a what? Uh, It's just you just they just want to disagree at some point. At some point. So I don't know if I completely
1: answered your question about the pros and the cons. I see there to be way more pros than, I'll leave it at this. I think there are way more pros than they are cons. I think the problem is, is it's deeply complex. And, you know, I pinpointed a couple of things like, you know, the white savior complex, the the Western values, Um, there's, and we have to be willing to have these conversations. And I think in today's very digital, short-form content, polarisation works really well. No one wants to sit down and have a conversation and meet people where they are at and not just say, oh, well, we agree to disagree. No, let's actually talk about this. Um, and I, you know, my friends always joke when I try to have these conversations on TikTok. They're like, are you sure that's the right place to have a conversation about politics and motorsports? No, probably not. But let's start somewhere. Um, so I think that's the big of it and i'll leave i'll also say one thing is athletes can be these incredible beacons of of good and societal movements if they choose to do so i also don't think we should force every athlete to become the voice and the face of social issues if they don't want to because i truly also understand that they might not feel equipped or might not feel that they have the knowledge or the and talk about a topic but say that instead of saying oh you know i don't do politics Oof, politics is so boring oh oh you know or it's all doom and gloom no don't you're a 30-year-old man don't say that say instead i don't feel equipped or i don't feel like i have the knowledge or the insights to talk about a topic as complex as insert topic in mind um but yeah
0: i think you had something very important there and right now, while we're recording this, we're just coming out of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, and it's so interesting because I was watching the one of the pre-race conferences, and I just watched the entire conference. And you know, sometimes you know when it, when a video has been cut, like right at the end. And it did look like that. I'm just an absolute hunch. So I was like, okay, let's read the transcript because obviously I, I have to know everything was yeah. happening. So I look up the transcript on the FIA website and the moment they cut was right before a question about how the drivers felt about coming back to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And I can't remember who else was present there. I believe there was, uh, I believe there was Chaco Perez. Adidas Lance Stroll, Esteban Ocon, I can't remember who else was there, and they went from one end to the other, and everybody said, you know, we feel we feel fine, we feel safe to come back here, we trust Formula One. It was very, like, you know, media talking point checked off, and then they reached Lewis Hamilton, and he just said, every, opposite to everything, what they said. Some uh, some other journalists kind of probed him, like, "Oh, what did you mean by that?" And he's, I think, he was also trying to hold his tongue a little bit, just knowing yeah. that at this point, apparently, drivers aren't even allowed to say what they want to say. But he very, he did get his point across that. I don't believe Formula One is doing what they need to do. I think they do need to um, focus on the bigger issues, the human rights issues. I think that's our responsibility and Formula One is not meeting that responsibility. I'm obviously paraphrasing, but I think it was very interesting to see that the other drivers kind of just checked off this media talking point. And I I mean, I think with with, with Lewis Hamilton, it's obviously he has a very different- He doesn't have the privilege of
1: being a white man who has never feared for his life. And who's and like you and I are women, like we like we can talk about these things as well, and it 's always going to be top of mind it 's funny you say that because it 's one of those things that like we do not have the privilege of not thinking about our safety and our security when we 're alone at p we just we just don 't that 's just a fact of life we can 't switch whereas again, I appreciate that if you 're a white man, you have the privilege of not having to worry about your safety and security as much as we do. And to Lewis's point, there is like it is sad, but he just doesn't have. He's li- it's lived experience for one way to perform for him, and I and I, you know, I don't fault these drivers who've maybe lived very safe lives. And I again in quotations here, and I'm massively generalising, which is never a good thing. Um, so I I can appreciate that it's never top of mind for them, but it doesn't mean you don't do the work and the effort and the research as well
0: exactly and I think at at some point you have to realize that you're making excuses mm-hmm. you have to realize that either you're following a certain number of guidelines somebody has told you that this is what you say but then you own up to it being like look I, I don't feel comfortable talking about this I don't have the knowledge to do it fine I would rather you say that right. then just say like yeah I feel safe enough and it just sounds very tone deaf and I think I think with drivers, obviously, with Drive to Survive and content creators and this whole perfect storm like we described before, I'm sure it's been a learning curve for them as well to watch you know, what they say. And I think they really probably had to go through many more rounds mm. of media rain than they've ever had to before. So I, I sympathize to a certain extent. But I, what we said before and what you said before, these are not political concerns, they're human rights issues. We all live in a very global world and I think we have the resources to gain whatever knowledge we need to, to get us, you know, to inform ourselves, whatever we want to actually learn about. So I don't personally see that as a valid excuse at this point. And and it goes back to
1: is it a priority for you to learn about this stuff? Or is it not? And again, is it a priority for Formula One to actually tackle diversity, inclusion, representation? probably not because the people at the top aren't diverse aren't aren't representative of the wider society so again they have the privilege of this not being a priority and until it isn't until the day that it isn't a daily priority the things aren't going to change and again I'm not making excuses here I think that is just a fact that we have seen in society time and time again you ha- I think that there's a point in life as a human where you go okay do I believe that everyone should feel welcome and safe yep great then do do the research do the work and are we gonna stumble absolutely are we gonna say stupid things absolutely are we gonna mess up most likely but as long as we're growing as human beings versus ignoring what's happening and just you know taking our privilege and have you know and, and ignoring everything else then, then i think we're, we're decent humans um
0: and of course you know we know formula one is it's it is a business it's it's a very expensive sport and everybody's in it for the money which is totally understandable we live in mostly a capitalist yeah. economy across yeah. the world and I, I can also you know see that all these countries are obviously pouring in money into the sport and also the teams like I think one of Aston Martin's biggest sponsors is a state-owned uh, oil firm from Saudi so I can see why Formula One want to stay away from talking about any things that will upset its host countries but I think there does come a point where you have to kind of move beyond that and find creative ways to talk about the important issues because it's just, I just don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's possible anymore, to really turn your head away from that. And we're going to see an interesting shift of powers, like how much power are you willing to
1: give to your race promoters, who and and your sponsors and your partners. Um, And that's what we talked about with the rules and the regulation changes that said that drivers could no longer voice, you know, political religious and personal opinions, which is completely wackadoo. Uh, Why was that change needed now? What had changed? And the only thing that had changed was the amount of new sponsors coming in from certain markets in certain countries. And you can only extrapolate and look at that and go well there's the timing feels interesting when you know when we've lost emirates and we've got qatar Airways, we've got a qatar gp again where we've got you know to your point neom is pouring in more money the pif is pouring in a lot of money and yeah you can either ignore it and turn your head or you can realize okay wait hold on a minute we also have values as a sport that we want to uphold and so it's, you know, it's it's a conversation we have to meet somewhere in the middle. Um, and this is coming off the back of the Qatar FIFA World Cup. where I think people looked at it and went, great success. We, we, we got away with telling people that they could have their symbolisms, you know, for the LGBTQ plus community and then tell them that they can't wear their rainbow armbands at the last minute and they got away with it. So great. Let's see what else we can get away with.
0: It seems like F1 is dealing with a lot of issues right now, not dealing with actually, trying to address a lot of issues right now. And I know we already touched upon this a little bit, that it's probably because of this new influx of fans who are asking the important questions about racial diversity, about women in motorsport, about sustainability. And while there are some steps forward, is the sport dangerously close to performative activism territory? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I honestly don't have a long-winded. I'm very long-winded. I don't even think it's dangerously close. I think it's absolutely performative right now. Um, Again, go back to not a single person in my community could give me one thing that Formula 1 had done recently. Um, We Races 1 came and went as fast, you know, it went as fast as it came. Um, What was actually done apart from a video, the drivers were barely included. It was a PR thing. It felt like a tick-boxing exercise. Yeah. I, and again, it's, it's never not going to feel performative until it's a priority. I truly, if, if anyone has a good example of something that the sport has done that may, and maybe, you know, the FIA with girls on track, I think that's a beautiful, um, that is truly a beautiful program. And and then there's racing pride as well, but that isn't being pushed from Formula One itself. Um, F1 Academy, that was the only other one that people would point to. But again, that's a sound business decision. That's an economic, it's going to bring in more sponsors. They're realizing they have a fan base. They re- like that is, that is not a gift. You know, it's not a, it's not them making, you know, female fans. More and not to say
0: it's they welcome shouldn't welcome. make money. Of course they should make money, but the way they're positioning it is like, oh, we're making this huge investment. Like, you know.
1: But it goes back to my point. You cannot celebrate us and then humiliate us and ignore us at the same time. You can't just steal our content and then pretend that we don't exist. Again, you can't have it both ways. It is so obvious what is happening. Um, you want the relevancy, you want the content, you want the economic power, but you're giving nothing back.
0: Right, exactly. I I really like what you said about, I mean, well, we agreed on basically everything, <laughs> but I think it's, it is important to note that it does seem like it's like too much at the same time. And it is very transparent. It's about appeasing the younger generations. And I know we discussed a little bit that you no know, Formula One is also close to losing younger generation fans if we don't if they don't welcome the younger female fans. And to me, it's almost like, oh, please don't leave because will Formula One stop talking about these issues again? Does it start from Formula One welcoming these fans?
1: I don't actually even think it's gonna start there. I think what I'm already seeing, which I'm getting really excited by is, you know, I've gotten on calls and I've done interviews with young women last year or the year before, and then they're sending me emails and they're now working for a team or they're now working for the FIA or they're now working for Formula One. And I, it really is this, there's like a wave happening of women who were on the sidelines or content creators who are starting to partner. I think we're going to see this year more and more content creator partners partners sorry, with teams and hopefully formula one as well, but I think also the broadcasters and they're slowly making their way into the sports at different levels. And I think that is bringing me deep joy. And it does mean that there are people at the top who are making these decisions to hire all of these young women. And so that I, ha- is, I will say, very positive in in, in that light. And, and I am excited. It's just, it's going to take time. Um, and it's not just about the funnel. It's not just about bringing women into the sport. It's about how do we ensure that they stay. And they stay if they feel welcome, if they feel seen, if they feel taken care of, if they're not constantly fighting for scraps. Because that's the thing in every conversation I've had with drivers, whether it's al Kpasi, whether it's um, Tatiana Calderon, they will all talk about this feeling of, and I not not even just drivers, pe- women who work for the FIA or for Formula One, um, is even as content creators, you're lucky to be here. So don't be difficult. Don't ask for what you know is your worth. I, you're a female driver. Don't ask for your suit to be tailored. Don't ask for your, just, 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 just be lucky. Just shut up and try and drive, will you? And you go, how? How have we made to feel like we're getting the scraps and we should be, and we're not lucky to be here. Again, we're 50% of the population. This, we absolutely belong here. We deserve to be here and we should stop being told. And again, don't get me wrong, there's there's an amount of luck that happens with everything in life. But I'm seeing this more and more with women. So my piece there is like, how do we ensure that the women stay? Stay as fans, stay as, you know, and I think this is what I talked about this a month ago is, What I'm excited by is there's a wave of female fans and there's a wave of content creators and there's a wave of women making themselves into the industry versus one or two here and there, which means you can't ignore them, which means they have each other's back, which means you can't just say, well, is it just you feeling that or is it us just being misogynistic? I feel like it's just a you problem. And when there's nine women at the table who say, "Ah, that was 100% misogynistic they go oh okay so it's not just that you're not the only woman at the table and that truly brings me deep joy and brings a smile to my face because I have never seen that um, and not just in most sports I haven't seen that elsewhere just like this wave of women mm-hmm. and young girls coming into the space
0: yeah it's almost like well Formula One shouldn't forget why they green left track right, to survive to begin with because the the fandom of Formula One is already you know aging and diminishing quite a bit. I mean, I have, I genuinely have friends who stopped watching Formula One years before Drive to Survive came out, because they were just like, oh, you know, it's just it just seems like a very inaccessible sport. People would make fun of them for following such a bougie sport, so they literally felt pressure to stop watching the sport because they were like, oh, it's like considered very hoity toity and like very bougie, and I don't want to watch it anymore. And obviously, Drive to Survive just like breathed new life to it. And you know, get, brought it on this like global streaming platform like Netflix, and brought all these new fans. And I think. That a big part of that is young female fans, and I think Formula One should just keep that in mind. That that's that is a direct, re, a direct consequence of Drive to Survive, and you know everything that followed. And the world has changed. I,
1: you know, you, again, I bring back to Ash Vandele or or Blake, um, who both stream on Twitch. I do so as well, but they are they're doing a just a phenomenal job at this that, you know, for some people, they just want a community to watch the race on a Sunday. They don't at you know, boys, more than 90% of fans, this is crazy, but more than 90% of female, of Formula One fans will never get to attend a GP in their life, too un- completely inaccessible, too expensive, too far, you name it. And so for a lot of people, the idea of being able to watch, on whatever platform they're watching, F1 TV, which again is a phenomenal product that Formula One has worked on, and I will give credit where credit is due, or whether it's watching on Sky Sports or ESPN, you name it, but they also want to watch with a community on Twitch. So they're listening to one of their favorite content creators, again, whether that's Blake, whether that's F1 Ellie, whether that's um, Ash Vandelay, and then they're watching. So again, there's like, there isn't just one way of consuming Formula One, there's a myriad of ways. And again, like, this, just the space is evolving, the space is changing the way we're consuming Formula One. You know, most of us. Are watching non-live content most of us are consuming tick tocks at the same time most of us on dual phones at the same time where and so i think again, F1 has been, but also, you know, F1 has been around for 70 years. So they have all of that legacy tech and those legacy processes that they're trying to shake off. So I also understand it's hard for an institution who's been around for 70 years to sort of change and adapt to this digital age, but the the world is changing and we're not going back. And so I definitely think there's a moment right now of capitalizing on, okay, how are people consuming Formula One? Where are they going for their content? What kind of content do they want? How long are they spending on this content? Oh, wait a minute. Fans are also becoming professional. Fans are also becoming Content creators, we have like a huge percentage of fans who are now also creating content. What does that mean for us? Um, and I think they have to be actively having these conversations because long gone are the days where you know the only way to consume is by sitting down and watching the television at a specific time or being on track. Most of us consume the F1 content on YouTube. You know, more people are consuming more YouTube than Netflix or TV broadcasts. So there's there's something there happening that I think is really interesting.
0: Yeah i think that's a really great point apart from the f1 circuit it seems like the other silent winners of this influx of fans has been brands and advertisers i mean i think the amount that this has grown advertising in formula one is is really it's mind-boggling almost it's just to see the amount of Mm. the number of sponsors have increased the diversity of sponsors have increased there's new streetwear brands like palm angels there's tiktok there's cognizant there's all different kinds of brands that are sponsoring and pouring money into Formula One. But do you think at this point, do you think advertisers who have not yet recognized this fandom of Formula One, because people who are into Formula One, we can see that it's a growing sport and it's a really great time to be involved in the sport. But I think people outside of this bubble don't really see that. They don't necessarily Mm -hmm. understand it. So I think it's, it's, it's an interesting time to be a brand or an advertiser because either you get it or you don't. Yeah. If that is a revenue stream for you, it's generally sports advertising. So I'm curious to know from you, do you think brands and advertisers still have time to get in here or have they kind of missed the boat?
1: No, I, I and I say the same for content creators. I definitely don't think you've missed the boat. Yes, would it have been easier five, 10 years ago? For sure. Is it more crowded and noisy space than it was previously? probably most likely but is there still time absolutely i also think as we get more diverse fans into the space and and you know more different ways of engaging with the content we're going to see different types to your point of of sponsors getting involved i think the big piece that is missing specifically in america yeah and i've god i remember i spent most of last year asking this and like at what point is formula one going to be part of pop culture because you mentioned it like it feels very hoity-toity it's a very you know very bourgeois sport in europe as well and that's ever so you know that's shifting because the barrier to entry is getting lower and lower because again people can consume on on uh, on digital and, and youtube and f1 tv and you name it but I, and because of that i that's my thing is to your point i think the reason why most people don't know that they should be investing in this space or sponsoring in this space is because truly it's not part yet of general culture and pop culture but there has been definitely a wave of you know In the post tobacco era, I think most of us thought we're never going to see the type of money that we saw with big tobacco come back into the sport. And I think we were all a bit wrong. And you mentioned Cognizant and you mentioned TikTok, and they're just two examples. We also have AWS and Zoom. We have an influx of uh, very tech sponsors that makes sense because the sport has become less and less mechanical and more and more technological. So it makes sense to have more tech sponsors. But I also think as we have more and more women and, hopefully more women in the sport and more female drivers in this space i think we're gonna see you know i god i I made a couple of tiktoks last year saying i I can't help for us to see things like skincare brands into the sport like i'm surprised we don't have a skincare brand who spent money in the sport it's a multi-billion dollar industry it's very much tailored um to women with the purchasing power but also it's a sport that happens outside in very hot countries how have we not had a skincare brand or you know a sunscreen brand pop up and i remember doing saying something you know when I. previously about you know one of the things Formula One could do was create these hospitality spaces for different types of fans who want to feel you know maybe solo female racegoers and I had mentioned that I think Bumble BFF should sponsor one of these and should sponsor hospitality space for solo female racegoers and Bumble BFF actually funnily enough I think it was ahead of the Singapore GP last year jumped on the bandwagon and said welcome to the Bay written bay b-a-y if you're looking for a bay b-a-e um, download bumble bff ahead of the singapore gp and i was like that is incredible newsjacking and very smart advertising and that was the first instance that i saw of a brand trying to tap into both the new female fans in this space um, i think this time i think we're gonna see i think as as it gets more and more diverse i think we're gonna see it but again they the, the new sponsors are having to compete with the likes of qatar with the likes of the pif with the likes of aws with the likes of google who are probably pouring in millions and millions and i also think most sponsors think that it's unattainable to be a sponsor in Formula One, when I actually know for sure that it isn't that unattainable, you can absolutely be a sponsor without having to pour in, you know, 100 million. I'm also excited to see just like the future of advertising. Um, You know, McLaren came out with their digital um, ads around the car and they're also testing that on the helmet. And I get excited by that of like, what if advertising didn't have to be static? What if it could be really technologically advanced? And what if it could be really clever and offer this ability of having... um, dynamic branding that would change with different sponsors um, which I always love thinking about the future of advertising so yes noisy yes it's a saturated space but I still think there's so many opportunities to get involved but we're definitely in like the tech era of advertisers in formula one uh, we had tobacco we had alcohol which is weird we had tobacco we had alcohol now we're having um, the tech I wonder what's next we had in the tech we had obviously a bit of crypto or a bit a lot of crypto last year and then we had the crypto crash so the crypto sponsors have almost all, I think, disappeared from mm-hmm. the grid, which was interesting.
0: I think also brands now have an additional stream of sponsoring directly with drivers. I think before that, it was more like, you know, just someone as successful as Michael Schumacher that people would know and would, you know, maybe make sense with advertising. But I think now there's there's a new following for different drivers. Drivers are like their own personalities, they have their own different things that they stand for and i think they have that new revenue stream or other advertising stream that they can work directly with and advertise with and sponsor and things like that
1: yeah there's definitely and look it was what was it 2015 was the first time that in formula one drivers were allowed to take pictures um on their phones from the paddock and so that wasn't that long ago you know that was seven eight years ago um and, and again, I go, I think that goes back to the shift of power away from Formula One to the teams to the drivers, that the drivers are becoming their own brand and entity. And the likes of Lewis, Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris have done this incredibly well of just thinking more than just I'm a driver, but I'm a production company or I'm a media company. And what does that look like? Which I find also really exciting. Um of do we follow an athlete or do we follow a person? Do I care what this athlete does if he doesn't, you know? Do I care just about the performance of the athlete on track, or do I care who this person is and the charities that they do and the values that they hold? Which honestly, I think is a very personal conversation. Some people truly will say, "I don't care if that person is a horrible husband, um, a terrible father, doesn't have the same values. If he is a phenomenal goalkeeper, if he's a phenomenal golfer, that is the only thing that I care about." And I don't think that's right or wrong. I truly think that is just a personality trait, and for. Some people, it's no, no, I need to love the entire human being. I need to understand that we have the same values. And again, there's pros and cons for both, but I think from an advertising perspective, people want to, you know, sponsor an entire human being.
0: Um yeah.
1: a different approaches. It's, it's
0: a very it's a very interesting time to be in Formula One. Yeah, I think it's obviously it's growing, but it's also while it's growing, it's not growing in one direction. There's mm. so many things that's happening around it, there's so many things you can pursue. I love that there's so many different kinds of content creators talking about so many other things because I think that's what's making the sport so much more exciting. Before we wrap up, we like to do something we call a rapid-fire round. Oh, fun. Where we just literally talk about anything that's not racing. So we can't have any racing context or racing answers in these questions. For this episode, we're going to do a string of would-you-rather questions. Okay, let's go. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. As oh, ready great. as I can be <laughs> okay so the first question is would you rather add pineapple on every food or hot sauce on every food
1: I think I could make pineapple work but I think I'm going to go with hot sauce I mean depending as long as it's not too hot hot sauce um I will go with hot sauce
0: yeah, I think, that's, I think that's what I would pick too. Wait, yeah. are you a pineapple on pizza person?
1: No, but I'm a pineapple. I, I don't mind it. I just, I never order it. If it's there on the table, I'll take it, but I've never ordered. I don't think I've ever ordered it
0: myself. Same. I think it's the same with me. If it's there, like, yeah, I'll have a pineapple. Um, I like pineapple drinks. I, guess, I mean, when I, no. I'm guessing that counts. But yeah, <laughs> I would rather, uh, yeah, put hot sauce too. I mean, I'm just fulfilling my Indian stereotypes. So. <laughs> um, okay question number two This can also be a little bit divisive but we're gonna go for it would you rather be a dog or a cat
1: i think a dog i don't know i think i probably have the personality more of a cat than a dog but i think a dog i say only that because i have two dogs myself so i kind of feel like i have to say that um let's go with dog
0: fair i like how independent and like low maintenance cats are i really like that about them but I've always grown up having dogs and like dogs around me. So I just feel like this emotional, like, Attachment. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I think I'm exactly the same as you.
0: Um, all right. The last question is a very social media driven question, okay. which I'm very, actually, I'm very intrigued to know the answer, what answer you'll give me. Would you rather delete Instagram or TikTok forever? Wow. Okay,
1: if you'd have asked me this a year ago, I'd have said Instagram, but because I brought so many of my followers from TikTok over to Instagram, and I feel like TikTok is having a moment right now where mm-hmm. the American government wants to ban it.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that.
1: Um, right now, in this moment of uncertainty, I think I'm going to go with TikTok because Instagram feels like it has more
0: longevity. Um Uh, I think. I think that's fair. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about the TikTok potential ban. I mean, uh, in India, where I'm from, there's no TikTok. So... I'm kind of used to not having a big chunk of my life or a big chunk of my friends and family, like literally not knowing anything that's happening on TikTok. And it's funny because sometimes they'll send me Instagram reels and I'll be like, I saw this on TikTok two weeks ago. Hey, at least that your friends have
1: a good excuse. It's worse when it's like your parents or a friend of yours in Europe that has access to TikTok and you're like, yes, honey, this has done the rounds on TikTok for about a month and a half. You're like three weeks, four weeks behind and you have no excuses. Um... But that is the thing that's weird with, with TikTok is it goes, it's happy. you saw it on Reddit first, then you see it on on TikTok and then you see it on Instagram then it pops up on Facebook and you sort of have like a week or two delay between each of those, which is fascinating.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tony. This has been such an insightful and fun conversation. I had a thank great time me. chatting about all these crazy but important things. A lot of people who read Females in Motorsport have been following you for a really long time so it's it's really great to have you on the podcast well look thank you for having me and
1: and also thank you for all the work that females in motorsport do as well of just like you know celebrating the women in this space and always highlighting them and it's pretty it's been pretty incredible to watch and
0: thank you for your time it's been fun getting to know you and chatting with you today thank you thanks so much